Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Jody, welcome to The Career Musician. Thanks for having me. Those of you who don't know, Jody Friedman is not only a career musician himself, as a writer, producer, instrumentalist, I could tell you play some strings as well, my friend. Yeah, a little but, bit of everything, yeah. There you go, I love it. <laughs> but you're also a music supervisor and a music clearance person and a lot of other things. So, yeah. you know, I want to hear directly from you about all that. I'm just going to get straight to the point. Yeah, hit me. The biggest issue right now in the music industry is for how artists and musicians can make money, earn a living, because especially since the pandemic, things have gotten really crazy. But even before that, the new rock stars, if you will, have become music supervisors because you guys are you guys are so coveted in that you literally hold the direct connect keys to getting your music as a as an artist into television, film and multimedia. That's right. Yeah, it's true. So I don't know. I, I didn't expect that when I started down this path. It just I started music supervising back in 2008 and uh, licensing was definitely happening. 2006 was like the OC, Grey's Anatomy were breaking artists and Alex Patsavas and the Chop Shop were making careers for artists just by putting their music on TV. Radio was going away. The iPod was out. The iPhone came out in 2008. So it was this moment where everything was shifting. And uh, I think I just... I stumbled into it, into music supervising. A buddy of mine from college wanted me to act on his film. I went to help him out and I played the part of Ryan Adams in his film. And I asked him, do you have a music supervisor? He said, no. I said, I could do it because I'd been doing licensing for a couple of years on the other side of it as a sync agent pitching to supervisors. So he said, sure. So I had a $40,000 budget and about 12 songs to clear. And that was my foray into supervision. And just like anything, you work on one project, you meet people, a sound designer, sound designer brought me in on the next project, and then it kind of spirals from there. I've been very fortunate to have that that perspective to be able to music size it into being a sync agent and uh, having my own catalog. Most supervisors don't do that. There's more now than there used to be. It used to be like frowned upon for whatever reason. I'm like, look, I started as a library first, then I started supervising. I'm not going to stop. But now I see it's interesting. I've seen as the years go by and it's very hard to find work as a supervisor. A lot of supervisors are now they have their own catalog. They have their own label. Even Alex Patsavas, she has her own Dave Jordan from Format. He has his own label. He does all the Marvel films. It doesn't mean that he's pitching all his own stuff in the films. It doesn't mean I'm pitching all my own stuff in the films. It just means we have this other business that we monetize through other outlets. When we're supervising something, I think I, I do speak for my colleagues on this too. Arberti is serving the client and getting them what they need for the scene. And that's not necessarily going to come from our catalogs. It usually doesn't. At least. Yeah. 
That's what's up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So for those who may not be familiar, let's break it down. Let's talk mm. about the differences. So first of all, you said you started in licensing. You started yeah. as a licensing agent, basically. Ex- explain that. You know, for- sure. Yeah. I explain it like if there's buyers and there's sellers. Even though when you license something, it's more of a lease than a sale. You don't actually sell your rights. You lease your rights. But there's buyers on the buying side. And that would be like the production companies like Netflix and HBO and focus features and those buyers have music supervisors that are almost like the real estate broker for the buyer and they're licensing songs and records from labels and writers and publishers for their productions so they're the buyers and then the sellers are the agents that represent those copyrights on behalf of right and publishers and labels and the agents have the relationships with the music supervisors just like any buyer-seller relationship in real estate or really in any industry, you got to have the relationship. Sales is all about relationships. So the agents build the relationships and they nurture them for years and years. And then they build that trust with supervisors. So as a result, I'm on a lot of supervisors radar and lists because I've been doing this for so long. So I get emails every day looking for music for this and that, but they might not, they would not just reach out to a random artist who approaches them, even if they like the music, because they're not sure that has an understanding of the business and has their crosses and I's dotted and all the copyright in order. So that's why they work with agents to make sure that they're protected because they have to protect their clients. That's very well articulated. Thank you so much. It makes it very clear. So now you said also that it's a little hard these days to get option as a music supervisor. So can you elaborate on that in in, in that whole string of uh, command, if you will, between agents and the soups and stuff? Yeah, just finding work. As an independent freelance supervisor, there's some, there's studios, Universal has an in-house person, Paramount has an in-house person, Fox has an in-house person. But there's, it's hard as a freelance independent music supervisor to get on, at least in my experience, to get on a regular show. Everything comes from relationships and trust, and it takes time to build that trust. So for someone at Netflix or Hulu or Amazon to take a chance on a supervisor they haven't worked with before, it's a big risk for them, right? It could go wrong and then it falls on them or they got to fire that supervisor and bring in someone else. And I, that's just the nature of the business. It's just like any business. It takes time to build that trust. I've been doing it for a while. You get little bumps here and there and get a new gig. And that's another credit, another bump, then a new gig, another credit, another bump. And I think it's inevitable that I'll land my own show again. I did, I've did. i done a couple of shows, but not to the extent that I'd like to be doing. So I'm, right. I'm getting closer. Yeah. It's funny because we're running a parallel marathon here because like I always say, first of all, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? We just got to go for the long haul. But on my side, I'm searching for a television show that I can be the composer, right? The actual composer, the one and only composer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's the same hustle. It takes time to build that trust and it's a big risk. They put it on, all right, Nomad, we'd love what you do. We're going to take a chance on you. And that's what it takes. It takes you taking a chance or this is why this happens a lot in this business, your uncle or your cousin or your brother or someone getting a job. And that's when you get in. I see a lot of people, composers, supervisors, producers, 
they get their start because they're not even me. My friend from college brought me in on a film, right? That's how I got my start. It was my so it's just the nature of the business. It is all about relationships, 100%. I always say your network is or your net worth is related to your network. I like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's really, that is the key factor. And the perhaps even the biggest variable in that equation is the word trust. So, you know, developing that trust definitely takes time. But let's talk about this because so many people lead with the wrong foot. It's so funny. Mm. I had somebody come up to me not too long ago and send me pictures of their balance in their bank account saying that, yeah, I've earned this as a mission. So I think I should be on the show. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a new one. Yeah. The, our artists, who does that? It's artist entitlement, human entitlements. Like nobody owes you anything oh, based man. on anything. Yeah. Believe me, I'm a Cuban, Italian, New Yorker, man. I shoot straight. I let that this person have it. That is ballsy. Yeah. So my point is, I'm using that to illustrate a point here. How yeah. should people, artists, musicians, who composers, producers, what have you, how should they approach people like you on your side of the business? It's similar, but a different approach. If you're going a sync agent or a catalog owner versus a music supervisor. Overall, it's always, it's really the mind mindset of being of service to that individual rather than what can you do for me? It's how can I help you? How can I help you? And it's thinking about that before you actually send that email. If I get an email that says, hey, Mrs. Jody Friedman, blah, 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 I hit delete, right? They didn't do their research enough to look me up, to see my picture, to see that I'm not a Mrs. That's not my preferred pronoun. Little things like that. Also seeing what that person's working on. Although I've seen this recently because a lot of people teach, look up the supervisor on DB, look up, look them up on TuneFind, see what they're working on. I think that's good and important to do, but you need to make sure when you approach that way that you seriously dug in a bit. Cause I get some emails like, Hey, I loved what you did on, I don't know, episode 204 of Ugly Delicious. And it's a very broad statement and there might not be, I might not have done anything in that episode. So I think people are trying to like still cut use that trick to get in with a supervisor, but I see it a little bit as kissing up a little bit rather than being of service. Being of service would be like, it might not, I might not be sizing something, but hey, Jody, I own 100% of everything one stop. I create this. I notice you have a gap in your catalog. We don't have, I create Irish jigs, right? I noticed you don't have an album of Irish jigs. I can do that. I could have it to you in a week or two weeks. I have you 10 songs and we know the deal. It's exclusive. It's worldwide in perpetuity. It's a library, no problem. And they package it and it's ready to go. Okay. Now they've done their homework. They looked at my website. They listen to albums. They see that I have a gap and they pitch that album to me and I know it's ready to go. And they use words like one stop and pre-cleared and I own hundred percent of the masters. There's no samples. Like that tells me that they know what they're doing. They understand the business and that immediately establishes trust. So I love that. that. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. You said earlier, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. And that is one of the big principles here at The Career Musician. We're all about making music your business. So what that does is the person showed you that they do have the knowledge, they do have the yeah. necessary skill set, and they know the game, they know the rules, right? They're right. leading with the business aspects, like you mentioned. They're not kissing up, but they're giving you what you need. Now, the second part of that, which I love, you mentioned a niche, a gap in your catalog. Wow. That's right. 
because I'm all about, there's a term niching down, right? Everybody's talking about mm. niching down or however you pronounce it, but whatever yeah. it is you got, and it's true. You have to find your lane. I always say that. I love that approach. So now if somebody does have a niche that they specialize in, that's the way they come to you yeah. explaining they're pre-cleared. They own all the rights, 100%. And then what do you think happens? Is it status quo for them to follow up every two weeks, maybe or so, if they don't hear from you? How do you feel about that? If they're sent, if someone was to hit me with an email like that, I would listen. I would respond. I usually respond and say to everybody who pitches me music, not everybody anymore. But I usually respond and say, thanks so much for sending. We'll have a listen and we'll let you know if we think we can market. It's that simple. I'm going to listen to it. And if I think I can market it and monetize it, then I'm going to invest my time, money and resources into releasing and putting together an album. If I don't think I can market it, then you don't want to hear back from me anyway. So the follow up part of it, it's a fruitless effort, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. If someone's good, yeah, if someone's going to get back to you, they're going to get back to you. Granted, if you get asked to do a custom or something and you deliver on a custom, that's different. Hey, received it, sent it along, or hey, they chose another song, or that's very different from following up on a cold pitch. The same for supervisors. There's a lot of follow-ups involved there. And some of it's necessary, like following up to check on the status of payment or invoicing. That's natural accounting follow-up. But others are just, if they like the song enough, they're going to pitch it to creative. Well, we're going to pitch it to creative. If the producers like it, it's going to get put in the show. And that's when you'll hear from us because our job is to reach out to you and send you a quote request and say, hey, good news. They're interested. We, we're, here's a quote request. What I don't like doing is reaching out to people and saying, hey, I have no news for you. <laughs> or, hey, I've got bad news. They didn't choose it. Or, hey, we're not interested. It's, it, I used to respond with that. Thanks. It's not quite right. I would start to get hate mail from doing that. And I think that a lot of sync A's would get that. And that's actually perpetuated this no, no response to follow-ups when you pitch something because a lot of artists are sensitive people. I'm an artist. I'm a sensitive dude. When you get told no to your music, you take it personally. So it's easier to either get and just not respond or to, I, like I said, I use that response. If we think we can market it, we will let you know. We will reach out. And I'll know I'm taking the risk of losing that album to someone else because that's what you should be doing. If I don't reach out, you give the person like at least a week. If you don't hear from them, pitch it somewhere else. That's your, it's your copyright. It's your prerogative. Go to the next library, the next sync agent. And eventually, if it's good enough, someone will pick. Uh, man, fantastic. Yes, very well done. As you need a slap <laughs> on the back. But, you know, but no, this is important information that everybody needs to hear. And yeah. all about transparency. So that actually this leads really well into the next thing that I wanted to talk about. Through a dear friend of ours, a mutual friend, Michael Elsner, very successful in the licensing game and many other areas. He connected us. I remember it pretty quite vividly. One night it was late. I think I was just about getting in bed. And he's like, yo, I need you to talk to this supervisor about some flamenco guitar stuff and, you, and I was like, oh, okay sure so I just want to lead with this first yeah. of all I don't I'm not a big proponent of sleeping with your phone or checking with your phone when you wake up first thing or last thing before you go to bed but I because I've been in the business for a long time and I know you can relate yeah certain people reach out to you 
you should jump. There's certain people that send you a message like, hey, I need X, Y, Z, or I need you to do this, or can you do this? Then that was that example. And then you and I spoke that evening, and then you ended up pitching quite a few pieces of work of mine for yeah. a very big TV show. And then you had some custom requests for that show. Yeah. Once again, and I'm not, this is not to pack, pat myself on the back, but it's legit because I'm used to it. I responded immediately and I gave you a turnaround. Yeah. Like you gave me a turnaround and you delivered it on point. So when that next request came in a few days later, I went right back to you. You were top of mind and I'm like, all right, let's try this guy again. Let's see, see if he can do it. And you did it. You delivered again. You being able to respond and deliver all of a sudden you're top of mind when a custom comes up. And there's actually not a lot of people that can do that. As you know, people say, hey, hit me up for customs anytime and I'll hit them up and they don't deliver or they don't deliver on time or something comes up and that's fine. Life happens. I, if I'm on a deadline, if you don't deliver, I got to go to someone else. So that that's the nature of the custom game. I don't love customs so much man. for that reason. I try to steer clear of them. But that particular one was that was a pretty good one. So. It was worth doing, I thought. And uh, yeah, El Elsner, I thought we were going to talk about like Winger or something when you mentioned Elsner. Yeah, no, Mike's great and he connected us for sure. And uh, he told me, he said, this is your flamenco guy and you nailed it. Yeah. And, and speaking of which, again, I know my lane that I can play a little bit of everything because I'm really keen on playing genres authentically right yeah no matter what it is composing producing or playing various instruments but my one of my niches is latin because i do it so well and it's in my blood so i really do lean into that and that's what i teach yeah. the musicians so if you have a niche lean into it and then go pitch it to people like yourself niches are king especially in sync there's only the one recently that came up that is probably not really big for sync and that would be musical theater. There's a few writers that have a play background or a theater background and they write these really somewhat adult contemporary but more musical theater, theatrical, dramatic songs that tell a story. There's really not a place for that in sync. So if you're listening or you're one this and that's you, that's okay. It doesn't mean you can't collaborate with others and bring your skill set in to write outside of that genre. But that particular niche, I'd say, is pretty, pretty narrow. Almost every other niche, especially these days with how much content is being made, how many TV shows in different regions. Look at Netflix. It's all these Korean shows, these Latin shows, these Japanese shows. There's a ton of different ethnic regions around the world producing content for the streaming giants. Niches are everything right now. I think if you're going to stand out and sync, it's going to be through creating something that's in a niche. There's a ton of singer-songwriter. There's a ton of rock. There's a ton of pop. There's a ton of dance. There's a ton of hip-hop. But if you can find a niche within those genres, a subgenre of a subgenre, yeah. then you're on to something. And even blurring the lines and mashing some things up. 100%. Hybrids, making it unique, trying, experimenting with some new hybrid sounds. I think that stuff really grabs the ears of music supervisors, which also grabs the ears of people who run catalogs and libraries and sync agents because, you know, we're bombarded with music. Like we hear a lot of music. So for something to grab us, it's got to be different. Right. Yeah. And I'll draw the parallel. You are conditioned to listen like a consumer because of your job. I always say that about musicians. You can tell the musicians who are also producers and composers by the way they play in a band versus the ones 
who don't have those other skill sets and just play. They sure all, yeah. they overplay or they play what's not necessary or what's not relevant. They're up there to perform. And yeah, it's a different approach than stepping back and looking at the song as a whole, the record, the performance as a whole. Because that makes sense. The end of the day, why I draw that parallel, because when you're talking about visual media, it, yeah. that's the number one. The music is correlated with it, but as a support, it's not the main yeah. vocal. So. It's true. People ask me for years, oh, did you catch this band live? You ever seen them live? I like going to live shows, but for me, it, if some of them run too long and I don't care about seeing the band live for what I do for a living. What I care about is how the recorded product sounds. So you could be the greatest band live, but if your records aren't up to snuff, then it doesn't matter. I can't do anything with you. Again, I hate to keep coming back to it, but that's one of the things that what we preach over here. You know, yeah. why we have the course, pro level sessions from home, because that is an issue. And actually, let me ask you about that. Have you yeah. found that since the technology has, has made it so easy to record from home, has that affected your- but There's a lot more music now. There's a lot more music now than there was, because there's a lot of people producing from home. It's, I think it's raised the bar Okay. I think that because there's a lot more music, a lot of people producing the, that and it's all digital. So it has there's something different about the digital versus analog sound. So now when I hear analog stuff that's recorded analog, that's good. Oh, my God, does it sound amazing? Yeah. Played that for me even 10 years ago. I'd be like, yeah, it's good. But now it's just such a difference between digital, sonically speaking. So it's a good thing because everybody's capable of learning it. Everybody's capable of excelling at it. If you put your mind to it, I really believe that if you put your mind in and commit to doing something, then you can accomplish that task. So I used to say I write. I pitch, I represent, but I don't produce. I just don't produce. And then 2015, 2014, I decided, you know what, I'm going to learn to produce. And now I produce, right? Instead of saying that one line, but I don't do this, but I won't do, why not? But I don't do lyrics, but I don't do country, but I don't do hip hop. Like, why not? Listen, study, understand it, and then do it. It's That's, not. The yeah. issue there is as long as you put in the time to really learn yeah. the nuances. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to study it. You got to understand it to do it well. You don't have to write hit songs for sync. That's the great thing about it. They do not have they. Yeah. Tell us more about that. That's a great thought there. Great. Yeah. Look, sync licensing is about supporting picture. It's not about being front and center. So hit songs are about being front and center. You hear it. It's an earworm. It hooks you. It, it takes off on around the world, everywhere on YouTube, on the radio. For sync, you're supporting the picture. You're secondary. You're not the focus. You shouldn't be the focus. Unless it's a montage scene or the main titles or end titles. There's exceptions, but usually you're there to support pictures. So they don't, they just don't have to be hits. They just have to be well-crafted songs. Some, and I'd say 75%, maybe 80% are instrumentals for that matter. It's just got to be a well-produced record. Yeah. Now, we mentioned it early, earlier, live catalogs. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about composers, producers, artists seeking out libraries to submit to and the difference between exclusive and non-exclusive. I am a fan of exclusive. I've done both as a sync agent. I have my material as a writer with other libraries as well that I've signed exclusively to them. But when you're non-exclusive, you're kind of throwing paint up on a wall and seeing what sticks. And at the same time, you don't get that same commitment from the people that you're be committing to non-exclusively. It's like a relationship. We're gonna date, but I'm gonna see other people. Like, how's that gonna be received? So if you're exclusive, then you're committed to that company with those records. They're committed to you. There's a mutual respect and understanding. And it's it's also more valuable for 
me as a supervisor to go to companies that I know I can't get this from anyone else. There's some instances where I might go to non-exclusive companies, but it's usually going to be I'm either desperate or it's a lower budget stuff. When it's exclusive, it's just like anything with like NFTs, right? Rarity. Rarity is a thing. It's exclusive and it's rare. I can't get anywhere else. There's more value there too for you as the rights holder, for the agency that's representing you. It's, hey, I want to license that song from you, Jody, from Dream, Dream Reader by Frankie. And I said, oh, great. We rep them exclusively. It's going to cost X. Instead of saying it's going to cost this, and they say a year ago I got it from this company for two two thousand instead of five thousand. When it's exclusive, there's just there's more value tied to that copyright, and you're able to build that the value of that copyright by placing it. And if no one else is doing that, it's on. At the same time, I do understand the concern about exclusive. What if nothing happens? What if I tie it up exclusively? That's a legitimate concern, but. You do it, you just do it and you create again and you tie it up exclusively somewhere else. You create again, you tie that one up exclusively. Like you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. If you write a song, if you record a record that sounds amazing, you can do it again and again. That's the key. I always think, I always tell people, look, they think that they wrote their last best song. No, you're going to be doing this for your lifetime. So it'll happen again. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. 100%. Hey, do you find much difference between streaming forms and network and cable? Obviously, there's a difference between cable, major network and streaming. But the back end business of it all, the way it works for securing, procuring material, it's all the same, right? The royalties are still different. If you get a placement on a major network, ABC, NBC, CBS, and I'm speaking in the US, of course, your royalties are going to be higher. And that's because they pay a larger fee relative to the amount of shows and music they use to the pros, to ASCAP and BMI and whatnot. If you're on a cable network, it's going to be lower, probably at least 50% of what that major network would be. But you might get more re-airs. There's so many variables in royalties. I still don't understand how they figure out those calculations and what happens to all that other money they don't distribute. But we won't get into that. And then streaming's gotten better. I remember calling years ago about my statements and streamed here and they were telling me we're working on it we're working with the streamers we're talking with them they are working on our behalf to get fair rates and i've seen the streaming fees go up and any of you are getting those statements now you might notice amazon if it's on prime video and it's it shows downloads you know 1.2 million times or whatever and you might get 500 bucks for that that's just there's such a quantity of content and songs so i've seen it going up but it's really when you get when you write and create, obviously the gold mine would be getting a theme song. You want to get a theme song on a show or something? Very hard to get. But for most of us, in the meantime, we're just trying to get placed, and that should be the focus. Just try to get as many placements as you can for your music and build that royalty income. Some of my biggest earners. I have one song that was a really big earner for me. 
And it was in Friends with Benefits, that sh- that movie with Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis from I don't know, 2011 or something. And we pitched an independent artist guy from Nashville named Eric Paul. And the director at the time, he had this like Vampire Weekend sound and the director loved it so much. He put it in the film four times. So we have a cumulative use in that film of, I don't know, six minutes and 30 seconds or something. Wow. So any, and that film's been picked up in airs around the world. So that's one of my big earners. And at the same time, we did a deal with a production network that is a bunch of series for Travel Channel, Animal Planet, Discovery, and they air around the world. So that's been a consistent earner for me. And it may be like 0.03, 0.05, 0.07, 20 cents, 18 pennies, but they add up. So the more placements you can get in publishing, which is what we're all playing in, is all about the pennies, man. It's all about chasing those pennies. I always um, say it's like yeah. the penny stocks. It's And I call our publisher, our royalties, those are our retirement funds, really. And man, I can't tell you the of pennies that have added up for me that have been life-saving. Yeah. And again, that's another laurel that we rest on here at the Career Mission because the passive income of the royalties, boy, that is yeah. so important. And getting through the pandemic and times like that really comes in handy. Yeah. For sure, 100%. Now, now, all that being said, have you done much work with YouTube or other forms that are similar. You mean content ID or licensing to content creators? Both. Yeah, both. both. We do some, we have some royalties from content ID. Licensing to content creators, I haven't done much of that. It's They usually go to Artlist or Demix Sound or Shutterstock or Art, all these Soundstripe, all these royalty-free catalogs. And YouTube, I think, has their own catalog now. It's almost like I always, I view that as a different business. There's the YouTube content creators and then there's sync licensing, which is really like you, you won't find a Netflix show. You'll rarely find a Netflix project that has license from Artlist or Soundstripe. And if they have, and I'm supervising, I tell them you need to replace that track because their terms aren't aligned with your terms. So there, there's a lot of problems there. Yes, yeah. which is why I love the fact that you mentioned this. Epidemic is one example that I'll use a while ago. I was going to sign up with them. And then at the very end, they say, are you signed up with a PRO? And I said, yes. And then they send an email back and say, well, since you're signed up with a PRO, we can't accept your submission. Wow. How, what is the loophole they're getting through on this? How does that work? That's interesting that they said that. So what PRO are you with? Am I, but I have publishing in all three. But as yeah, a writer, it's not actually a loophole. Legally speaking, They you could still run your tracks through them and just register them mm-hmm. with BMI. Your agreement with BMI and anyone's agreement in the U.S. only, this only applies to U.S. writers, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, we have a non-exclusive agreement with them, which means that I could come to you, Nomad, and say, I'm producing this film. I'm not going to pay royalties. I want to license your song from you and pay you a fee, a buyout of your royalties. And you could say, sure, let's do it. We shake hands. We do the deal. I pay you. And it's done. And that's completely legal. And then I don't have to submit the cue sheets to ASCAP. It's only because you're with BMI and your agreement with BMI is non-exclusive. That doesn't mean that you can go sign with ASCAP as a writer also. You can be a publisher with all three, but you're exclusive You're exclusively a writer with them, but you're non-exclusively allowed to license your public performance rights directly to a client because that's the nature, at least the last time I checked, that was the nature of the agreement with BMI and with ASCAP and with CSEC. So that's how they're signing all this content is people saying, yeah, you can have it. I just won't register it. Or even if it is registered, technically, even if it's registered, 
there's a notice of a direct notice of or notification of direct performance license PDF that you can download from BMI, from ASCAP. You fill it out. You say, I did a direct license through Epidemic Sound. You list all your titles and you send it to them. And then they know, okay, we're not going to try to collect on that. I'm not a fan of the royalty-free path. It's uh, I'm not here to pass judgment. I'm here to educate, teach you what everything is. And you as a writer, as if for everyone listening to this that's writers, you decide what's best for you. There's a time to say yes to deals and there's a time to say no to deals. Yeah, That's actually the perfect segue that you said you're here to educate. I know you have several projects that you've developed over the years that are really helpful. So please tell us about that. I have a podcast. It's called License Your Music with Jody Friedman. If you go to licenseyourmusic.com, that's my website. And we have, there's a quiz on there you can take and that will guide you into what path is best for you based on where you're at in your career. I've got a membership that's closed enrollment right now, and I've got several courses that are closed enrollment too. Also, you might want to check out EliteMusicGing.com. I can't tell you how many friends I have who text, email me, or call me on a regular basis asking me licensing questions. So I'm directing all my friends over to you now. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. I do teach from the perspective I learned, which was an artist who kept getting rejected. So I learned the business. I became a sync agent. So I teach from that perspective of a sync agent and then a music supervisor. I take you behind the scenes with me on a project so you can really understand who your target is deeply so that you can be of service to them. Earlier, you mentioned that you're busy with quite a bit of music clearance, which is a whole nother can of worms. Yeah, it's been a challenge. It's been fun. It's like putting a puzzle together. There's nothing sexy about music clearance. There's no creative involved. It is just searching rights holders, reaching out for quotes, giving them the scene descriptions for the various projects we're working on. And there's about 17 right now that I'm managing, me and my team are managing. It's been good. It's actually been, I'm learning a lot. Anytime you clear a song, you learn something new about the estate and what they'll approve, what they won't approve. And it's fun. I enjoy that stuff. I'm a total- <laughs> it reminds me of the time that I tried to get While My Guitar Gently Weeps cleared for a usage for my, myself. Yeah, boy, that wasn't fun. <laughs> it's like you got to, sometimes you got to shake the tree pretty hard. Yeah. Jody, this has been great and very illuminating for those who are wishing to get into this area more. Tell everybody again where they can find your, your courses and whatnot. Yeah, you can go to www.licenseyourmusic.com. You can also go to at License Your Music and at Jody underscore Friedman. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. No, Matt, thanks for having me. This was fun. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 